Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Behind the Goals. Um, this week we have another of our of our interviews. Uh, it was one where Andrew was flying solo. Um, as I said in last week's podcast, um, I was uh, travelling to Spain for the Sports Direct Europe um, AGM. Um, and uh, while I was there, Andrew uh, you know, did the interview with Bobby Williamson. Mm. So everybody knows Bobby from his time as a manager in Scotland. Um, but he's now managing uh, for, he's managed two international teams uh, out in Africa. Uganda first, uh, and then Kenya with a, uh, a season as a, as a club manager in, in Kenyan football as well in between. Um, how yeah. do you find the, the interview, Andrew? Uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Really interesting guy. Um, he recently had a bit of a scare with, with health. Fortunately, he's come through that, which is, which is great news. Um, but his sort of stories from Scottish football and since moving to Africa were just great. He's, he's got such a seasoned career in that sense. He's you know he's been all over the place. He's um, met some, interacted with some really interesting people and names. And you know he think players he signed when he was at Kilmarnock and yeah. elsewhere. We will talk a little bit about him signing to Rebo West at Plymouth. Uh, <laughs> you know these kind of names that are kind of very well known. So yeah fascinating character a bit like I mean obviously the reason to speaking to him was a little bit out of personal interest of the fact that he'd managed out in Africa but also you know similar to Jimmy Bone he'd gone out to Africa and made a real success of himself as well and there's a couple of other Scottish managers that are out in Africa at the moment that are doing very well for themselves so um, seems to be a trend of Scots doing well in Africa yeah I mean I I was looking through um, Bobby's Wikipedia page and just kind of remind myself of his playing and managing career one of the things that struck me there is that he's not he's not been one of these players or managers that moves around every season mm. so he generally stays uh, stays at a club as a player and as a manager for for a couple or more or more seasons than that mm. so he, he finds a club where he fits uh, way that he likes that like him uh, mm. and he does he, he does something to develop them he, his, his first managerial stint in, in, in Scotland was at Kilmarnock where he'd finished his playing career um, so I, I have I was going to say fond memories of, of Kilmarnock from that time but Wraith Rovers went up in, in 92 to the Premier with Kilmarnock um, on, our, on our coattails um, and we didn't really think all that much of Kilmarnock at the time. This is when Bobby Wilson was was playing up front for them, um, and we thought they'd come straight straight back down. But instead, it was Wraith Rovers that came back down, and Kilmarnock stayed in the Premier, where they've been. I think I think they've been ever since. I don't think they've ever been been, been relegated from the top flight since then. Um, <coughs> but he he was there as a player for five six years, and then he managed them there for for five years. So that's a long time at one club um, to, to to really uh, get your feet under the table and, and do something and. I think genuinely, if you, if you think of Kilmarnock in the nineteen eighties, they're nowhere near the level of club that they are now. Um, in the you know sort of thirty years after Bobby Williamson went there as a player, and you know almost twenty years since he left them as manager, um, so you know that club has been transformed, uh, and that coincides with you know Bobby Williamson's spell there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a, a, a couple of clubs down south that he managed. Well, Hibs in Scotland as well that he managed, obviously, mm. uh, for a few seasons. Uh, a couple of clubs down south, and then went out to Africa, where he's been for the last ten years. Yeah. Um, so he finds a place where he feels at home, and yeah. uh, and he can really thrive and, and and achieve the things that he wants to achieve in football. Yeah. So here we go. This is uh, Bobby Williamson. 
Well, um, thank you very much for joining us, Bobby. What a <laughs> well fascinating career you've had. And um, I just wanted to start at the beginning. So you, you started out as a player at Clyde Bank back in the 1980s. What was what was Scottish football like in the uh, in the 1980s? <laughs> it was no not much protection for strikers back then. Uh, but uh, it was great. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my career. Obviously, in football, there's ups and downs. But uh, I had a great time at Claybank. It started me off. Uh, I scored a lot of goals for them. Then moved on to Rangers. Yeah. So a hundred thousand pound. What was what kind of money was that back then? In sort of comparatively, that's, that feels like it was still quite a lot of money. So. <laughs> Was I don't them... know how you can do any comparison nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> well, wow. but uh, that that was the going rate for good players. We promised uh, it was a hundred thousand. Just seemed to be the round figure that, that people came up with. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, Claybank done very well out of the deal. Uh, unfortunately, Claybank didn't give me a share of any of that money. Mm. I had to get my money from Rangers. Uh, Ted McMahon, uh, you probably remember. It came to Rangers at the same time from Queen of South for £100,000 as well. And uh, he got 10% of that money from Queen of South. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had nothing from Clyde Bank. Uh, and, and why was that, do you know? Was that just the, just the way the deal was structured? Just the way uh, the director was. He uh-huh. just didn't want to give me any money. Because uh-huh. uh-huh. uh, I went back and I, I said to him, look, uh, you, you paid, paid me £100 to join the club four years ago and now you're getting £100,000. Uh, I'm starting out in my professional career to help me out mm. and they uh, just refused and I said well I'm not going he says okay stay <laughs> he, he called my bluff so <laughs> I had to go to Rangers I couldn't just stay there sure uh, because the money I was getting I was becoming a full time footballer as well yeah so, and plus uh, Rangers was a team I supported as a boy so it was, uh, it was a no brainer so, so what was it like once you'd made that move to Rangers? I know you were injured for a, for a large part of it. How did you find that? Was that a frustrating time of your life? Yeah, I think I was been that was the most frustrating time of my career. Uh, to be fair, to be fair, it was a uh, it was a career for a kind of injury. Uh, both my bones had broken clean through my tib and fib, and uh, they had to put a plate in, and I uh, had that plate in for about six months, I think. The plate was too big and uh, it was interfering with my running. I couldn't, I couldn't jog properly. I was limping all the time. I had to have the plate removed. And by that time, the bones had healed. But it took me a long time to go over it. But mm. thankfully, I still managed to make a career out of it. Yeah, what was your... Can I ask, what was your mental health like at the time? Were you were you feeling, you know, depressed? I was and... strong. No, I, was, I was strong. Uh-huh. I, I was desperate to get back into football. And uh, I worked hard... Uh, done a lot of gym work and uh, became a bit bulky to be honest uh, I think I lost a bit of pace as well with a leg break but uh, I was still fast enough uh, it's, uh, no, I had a lot of encouragement uh, Big Jock Wallace was the manager at the time and he was a great mentor and uh, he, was, he was a fighter he wouldn't let anybody give up and uh, I certainly, uh, certainly had no intentions of giving up as I said it's, it's my career and I wanted to stick in it but prior to that I was a bricklayer and uh, it was a good enough job and uh, it was hard work and when I was at Clydebank I was going to put 7 o'clock in the morning going to work uh, going to Clydebank at 6 o'clock in the evening getting back home at 10 o'clock three times a week mm. uh, and travelled in the train uh, through Singers from uh, Easter House 
so it wasn't easy, but I had the determination that was going to be successful, and uh, thankfully I did get up and moved to Rangers. Mm-hmm. After Rangers, you you moved down to um, West Brom and then and then Rotherham. What was the what was the comparison like? Was there much difference between playing in England and Scotland at the time? Oh, big difference. Uh, when you're playing for a team like Rangers, it's a goldfish bowl. Uh, everybody's judging you. Everybody's watching your every move. When I, when I went to West Brom, they kind of opened up, opened up a lot. Players could go to the pub in the afternoon and play pool and have a few beers. Rangers, you couldn't do that uh, because the fans wouldn't be happy if they seen you out drink mm. during the week. Uh, but after the game of Saturday, it was OK have a few beers. But uh, no, just uh, the whole thing just opened up for me. Uh, I enjoyed West Brom, although it wasn't uh, the most productive part of my career. Uh, get released after two years. But in hindsight, I probably jumped too early. Um, Graham Sinus had become the manager. And they went to Jimmy Nicol in uh, from West Brom and they'd done a swap for me. And uh, I've always been of the mind that if you're not wanted somewhere, don't hang around and go. Mm. But I think if I'd have hung on, uh, Rangers picked up a few injuries and other players get chances when I left. And uh, I thought to myself, maybe I should have hung on a bit longer. But I've no regrets, really. West Brom, I had a thoroughly great time at West Brom, although mm. it wasn't great on the park. I really enjoyed the area. And then uh, I got released and I went to Rotherham. And I uh, had a good time with my career there. Scored a lot of goals for them. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you went back to Kilmarnock and I remember reading about a goal you scored on a return to Ibrox with Kilmarnock. What was that like? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a strange experience, to be fair. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'd scored against Rangers before when I was a Clyde by. But uh, to come back after all that time and... Uh, we come out that just come into the Premier League and they had the the whole bottom bottom area of the stand that that back then. Now they've only you only get that little corner uh, at Ibrox, but that time it was full right along the bottom. The Camarlock fans and it was it was great because Rangers were unbeatable at home at the time. Mm. Uh, they went so many games without losing and uh, to beat them uh, it was uh, it was fantastic. Mm. You then get the the shot at managing Kilmarnock. How does how does that come about? How does that conversation take place? Well, it was sad really because uh, I replaced the manager. I had a lot of respect for Alec Totten. Alec uh, Alec had joined Kilmarnock well I was still there. I was I started coaching uh, the youth the youth teams, and uh, Alec kind of brought me brought me further into it by coaching the reserves and stuff like that, and then. Alec unfortunately lost his job, him and his assistant Kenny Thompson. It was, it was a sad day, to be honest, because uh, I never expected to get the job anyway. Uh, I just thought, well, I'm on my way out as well because I'd stopped playing. But they asked me to be caretaker until they got someone. And uh, I did that. I brought in Jenny McCabe and Jim Clark to assist me. And uh, we gave it a go. And uh, thankfully, we got the position on a full time basis. And uh, we were relatively successful there. Yeah, I, I would say I would argue very successful. I mean, the the Scottish Cup win in nineteen ninety seven. What was? Well, I'm sure Kilmarnock fans would want to hear more about that. What was that like um, going on that run and, and beating Falkirk in the final? Well, funnily enough, it's about twenty odd years since uh, we won that cup. So I've been back for a few dinners and I've done a few speeches and a few, everybody talks about the cup final, obviously. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think all the Kilmarnock fans know my thoughts on that day. It was a fantastic occasion. Uh, well, we were pretty fortunate to win the cup. So we thought we'd pop a great show that day, and uh, 
we were we just edged it to be honest and uh it was great. It was it was fantastic for Kilmarnock people because they had won a cup for six to a year. Mm. Well, they had won the Scottish Cup for six to a year, and uh, there was people I knew, supporters at 50, 56, and fifty seven, and uh, they had a fantastic day. Mm. Mm. So you also had uh, some success with the UEFA Cup. Well, in terms of qualifi- uh, qualifying, so four times in in five years, it's something almost unthinkable now for for Kilmarnock. I don't know if it's unthinkable. Stevie Clark's doing a fantastic job now. Hopefully, he can manage to to do better. But um, back then, it, it was your wildest dreams, really, qualify for Europe. Uh, we had, hadn't done that for a long time either, Kilmarnock. But we we done it, as you said, four times out of five. And we, we had great surgeons in Europe. And uh, we managed to get into the first round. But we never managed to get past the first mm-hmm. round. We came up against good teams. Mm-hmm. We played, played, played the German team, Kaiserlautern, who were a very good team at that time. They had Jorkie, the French international World Cup winner, mm. playing for the team. So they had a lot of top players. And uh, and we played them in Kaiser and We had two one-on-ones with a goalkeeper, and uh, we never converted. And uh, they were a bit nervous because they were, they were struggling in the league and their fans were impatient. But eventually they beat us 3-0, and uh, it was just too much to overturn. And uh, they came back to Rugby Park. But they were, there were lots of great times, uh, great great moments. We went to Czech Republic, we went to Iceland, played in Ireland a couple of times, played in Eastern France, which was a great occasion. And as I said, uh, it was I think it was a good time for Kilmarnock fans. That, but I think they got a bit blasé uh, because they weren't, they weren't very happy when we lost in Finland. And uh, they told me where to go after the game. And I thought, well, if the opportunity comes, mm. I'm going. Mm. And uh, the opportunity did come because you've, you've only got shelf life in football. You can't be at the same club. I remember Walter Smith saying to me, don't stay any, any longer than three years at the one club. Mm. Uh, he goes, I made that mistake at Rangers. And uh, I'm thinking, that's okay if you're a top manager and you can move about freely mm. and walk into another club. But somebody's really got to want you uh, before you leave a club. And uh, as I said, I went to Berlin after Kermanbach and... Uh, Plymouth Argyle wanted me, so so I went. Yeah, uh, I I knew it was a burden uh, to burden financially because uh, when I signed the contract, uh, Sky TV was still alive and kicking, but mm. then it fell away mm. immediately, and uh, I had to renegotiate a contract with Burnie because it was too much money, so I took a wage cut. But I was still a bit of a burden to them, and I think uh, they were delighted to see the back of me. Mm. So they could get a, a manager who was a bit cheaper, a lot cheaper actually. Mm. But uh, they said, I, I've no regrets. Uh, I've, I've, I've had a thoroughly great time in football. I've been to some fantastic countries and uh, that would never have ever seen. Yes. And, uh, it's brought me to Africa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, want to, I want to get on to, to Africa. I just want to ask you about um, Hibs. So that crop of players you had in the academy at the time that sort of progressed through to the first team Scott Brown Ryden Gar- uh, Gary O'Connor Kevin Thompson Stephen Whittaker. What I mean what a group of players you had there what was that like? We did we had a lot of, we had a lot of good youngsters but it was more necessity than anything else really because as I said the Sky money had been doubled out uh, Rod Petrie was I think he was the vice I'm not sure if Rod was the vice chairman then at the time but he was he was a money man and uh, he made it clear to me that these players had to move on mm. and it's difficult when you've got good players and you've got to let them go. Mm. And uh, we sold uh, a good person to um, Celtic 
then the the boy from I think he's from, where is he from? Uh, Peru or someplace, uh, right back went to uh, went to Aston Villa for for a lot of money. So Hibs, Hibs made a lot of money out of these these kids as well when when they developed. The, the fortunate and unfortunate thing was I wasn't there to see them fully develop, but I knew the potential was there, and I had no hesitation in putting them in at a young age. We managed to get to a cup final against Livingston, mm. but um, we couldn't win that game. We had, we had run out of players, to be honest. Uh, we had no midfield. We had to convert players into the midfield players to play in that cup final, and we lost it. And uh, I warned the board at the window, the January window, that we were going to be short in midfield uh, where players were picking up uh, bookings. They were getting injured, and uh, I wanted to try and uh, swap a centre-half for a midfield player, but they wouldn't give me the go-ahead to do it. Mm. And they caught up with us, but nobody knows that. They, they just think it's all my fault. And uh, to be fair, as a manager, you take the blame. But I don't think the Hibs fans really, uh, really appreciated my efforts. Uh, I know, I know ones that do and did, uh, who are good people. But there's quite a quite a majority of Hibs fans that just didn't think it was uh, worthy of being the Hibs manager. Mm. Yeah, I think I gave them great days as well. We beat Celtic, we beat Rangers in the way that cup final. Unfortunately, we just couldn't, uh, we couldn't win it. Mm. Uh, it was probably, we had a lot of young players as well. Scott Brown, I think, played in that final. Uh, Briard and the Connors and all these guys mm. must have been involved. Uh, but uh, as I said, it was good experience for them and uh, helped them in good stead when they got there again. They managed to win cups. And I, I was very proud and I'm very pleased for them and for the Hibs fans as well because they, they went a long, long time without really winning much. And... Uh, so I, said, I had a good time at Easter Road as well. I enjoyed it, mm. but uh, I just knew that I had to move on uh, when Plymouth Argyle came in for me. I always had a, a desire to work in England, and uh, when they showed an interest, I felt I had to go. Yeah. So just briefly on Plymouth, I want to just ask you specifically about one player, Taribo West. Um, firstly, what was he as good as his was he as good as his football manager profile? And secondly. Uh, he was accused of being 12 years, I don't know if you know this, he was accused of being 12 years older than he was uh, by a, a, a former general secretary of Partizan Belgrade. What's your what's your take on those two questions? <laughs> he, he probably could have been, because when, when he signed for us, he said he was 34, but he looked about 44. <laughs> but um, I've always been uh, of the type, if you're good enough, you're old enough, whether you're 16 or whether you're 36. If you're good enough, you're old enough. I, 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 and I signed him because he was fit. And uh, he, he worked really hard to get himself fit. Unfortunately, we went to Sweden pre-season. And when we came back, uh, I got a phone call when I was at the carousel. I was waiting for our luggage and stuff. I got a phone call for immigration saying they weren't letting him back into the country because he never had a visa. He told me he had a work permit. Uh-huh. He, he, qualified, he qualified for a work permit in Italy. And uh, he had to get back to Italy to get it all finalised. So when he left, he was away for three, four weeks, so he lost his fitness uh-huh. when he came back. Uh-huh. I think he played two games for us and then I got sacked, which I was very disappointed in because in all my time at Plymouth, we were never in the bottom three. Mm. We actually finished. You can actually look at the the championship. There's three groups of teams, the top, 12, uh, top eight, middle eight, and the bottom eight. And we finished the bottom of the, the, the bottom eight, uh, finished top of the bottom eight. And uh, at the start of that season, the president said he'd be happy if we stay up with a goal, the chairman. Mm. He goes, as long as just keep us in this league. And I said, well, we achieved that. And uh, what do you expect next year? And he said, 
just to do better. And we had a good start to the season. We, we went to Reading and we beat them away from home. And I usually put the radio on when we, we come back for games because I, I, I can't be bothered with negativity and phone-ins and whatever. And uh, I thought, oh, stick, stick it on then. It shouldn't be a problem today. Come from the game, we're away from home. And some uh, some guy came on and told uh, told everybody that I would be sacked after six games. Wow. And uh, I was. He was exactly right. Mm-hmm. So they had planned to get me out before before the season had even started by the sign of things. We even beat uh, we drew Watford three three and both of these teams got promoted that year. And uh, I, I thought it was doing a reasonable job, but uh, obviously they, they thought otherwise. But uh, look at Plymouth are now. Uh, they brought in a couple of other managers after me. And then they started plummeting down the league anyway. But uh, it's never nice to see. I had a great time at Plymouth. The people were fantastic. Unfortunately, there was one or two directors there who wanted uh, big ideas. They wanted to bring in a big name manager. Mm. And uh, I was moved on. Um, and what what does that feel like when you, you the, the sort of the short ter, the short termism of of football club management certainly what is that how is that is that frustrating does that put you off wanting to go back to it or well there's a lot of things that put me off uh, football nowadays uh, but uh, it's, it's what I do I can't do anything else and I don't want to be a burden I get married over here to a Kenyan girl we, we met in Uganda and uh, I just got married recently we've got a, a young child. I don't want to be a burden to her because she's working away and I'm not working. Mm. And uh, there's no source of income coming from me, so it'll be good to get back into it. Mm. Uh, and not just for the money, but because you do miss it. When I was in India having treatment, uh, I watched a lot of football, a lot of Indian games and stuff, and the football was getting bigger in India. And I thought, I've got something to offer. Because you watch football matches and you see you see the way teams defend and the way they play and you think... What, what are they thinking about? Mm. Surely they must be organised that they could do better than that. So I still believe I'll get something to offer and I would just like to be able to test that. Mm. Okay, so moving to um, Africa, you start managing Uganda. How how does that opportunity come about? Was Were you thinking at this point after sort of the disappointment of Plymouth that you wanted something completely new? Well, I went to Chester after a year out of the game at Plymouth. They put me in garden leave and... Uh, I couldn't do any TV work, any football work at all, really. They were still paying me a wage. And then we came in agreement after a year to pay up the rest of my contract. However, we came in agreement and uh, I got an opportunity to go to Chester, but that was a big mistake. Uh, I should have looked to their record that Bissack, most of the managers don't even last a year. They decide just after Christmas. And I couldn't understand why until it happened to me and then I realised why. Mm. Uh, because in that division they, they were in, you don't allowed to spend so much of your income on wages. And then if, if you spend over that budget, you get points deducted or whatever. Mm. And uh, in this club are doing that. They, they were just bringing players in and spending too much money, doctoring uh, the hospitality income and the crowd issues. And then they get found out and they're told to, to move players out. And I didn't know it at the time, but they put everybody on the transfer list without telling me. Oh, wow. and we were third in the league at the time and I was looking to go in to see I had a list of players I would want to, I want, just want to bring to the club and they said we can't bring anybody in you need to actually move players out and oh. uh, the players weren't getting paid I wasn't getting paid so mortgages were in arrears and uh, the banks were running up bank debts and the players weren't happy we went in a, a 12 game run where we couldn't win a game we drew a few but 
the players weren't motivated. And uh, it's one of those ones, you can use that to your advantage by saying, let's show the chairman this and do this and do that. He's been unreasonable. But two of his sons in the dressing room who were players, I couldn't use that against them because you would find out about it. Mm. And uh, as I said, it was just a difficult time and I left there. And I thought, I don't want to be out of the game this long again. Mm. And I noticed that the, the Ugandan manager came, came to Hearts at the time, Shabba Laszlo. Mm. He had joined Hearts. And I said to my agent, what do you know about Uganda? And he's Ghanaian, my agent. He's based in London, but he's Ghanaian. He goes, yeah, I know. I was president now. So you go on the phone and you get back to me. He says, yeah, we're going to Friday. I said, sure. He says, yeah, we'll, we'll meet them in London. I said, I don't want to meet them in London. What's the point of me meeting them in London if I'm going to be working in Uganda? I goes, I'm not, I'm not going to London to meet them. I need to go over to Uganda. So he says, OK. I'll phone them back, phone them back. He says, yeah. You need to get your jabs. You need to get your, <laughs> your, your, all the all the all the injections you need to to take before you came. Yellow fever and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So so I done all that, and then we went over. And uh, the the experience wasn't great initially. I must admit there was a lot of poverty, and uh, you were driving out of town. You were tea fires at the side of the road where people were sitting sitting and eating and uh, pitch black apart from the, the traffic light, uh, sorry, the, the light from the fire and I'm thinking this doesn't look too clever at all. And uh, they offered me the job and I said, well, I need to have a look around and I had a look around and I thought, nah, I don't fancy this. So I refused, uh, I knocked the job back and then in the Saturday, I think it was a Saturday night we were flying back and we got bumped off a flight for some reason. I don't think, I don't think they confirmed their flights. So we couldn't get on it, and we had to stay another night. So we were staying in, in Terry, beside Lake Victoria, and we had plenty of time before the next flight. So in the morning, we went for a walk uh, onto the beach in Lake Victoria. And people were very friendly. I was only white face around, but people were very, very friendly, and I thought, maybe I should give this a go. Mm-hmm. I've not got much option, I've nothing to go back to. And I went and met the president, and I said, look, you've got two games left in your qualifiers. Let me do them. And it will take it from there. If we like each other, we can agree a deal. And uh, we played two games, and uh, we won one. Uh, I think we lost the first one. Yeah, we lost the first one. And uh, we missed out in goal difference in qualifying. But they still offered me a contract. Mm. We won the Sakafa uh, in my first year there. And then we won it the second year again. Then we missed out in the third. Then we won it in our, in our twice. So we won four Sakafas. And that's the Zambia. that's the East African Sorry. Cup, isn't it? Yeah, it's East, East African tournament. There's about twelve teams. They've got a couple of invites where teams come in from other uh, other, other areas. And uh, as I said, we done reasonably well, but we were, we were unlucky. We, we missed out on penalty kicks to uh, Zambia, but mm. uh, just won the tournament the year, mm-hmm. the couple of years previous, and they beat us in penalties to qualify for the for the next one, and we lost out. And uh, it was about a year later, too, or maybe maybe a year later that they removed me from the post and uh, brought somebody else in. Mm. And I came to Kenya. Yeah, so Kenya, and you're back to league football. Um, what's the sort of what do you prefer doing now? You've had the experience of both the the national team management no, and no, the club management. Not, national football is much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's much better. It's much. Uh, you've got a, you've got a, a whole country depending on you to get football results, and yeah, there's huge pressure, but. You don't have to deal with players' contracts and things like that. If you've got a disgruntled player, you just don't bring them back in again. Mm. You don't pick them, you don't select them. 
but at club level, if you get this disgruntled player, you've got to look at that guy every day, and mm. uh, you know he doesn't like you because he's not in the team or whatever, and uh, they don't even want to say good morning to you, and uh, it's harder mm. uh, working every day of the week and then preparing for a game on Saturday, uh, international football. You get the players for maybe, you're only allowed the international players for five days prior to the game. Mm. And most, of the, most of the time, you only get them three days prior to the game because of the travelling. They've got to leave their countries to come to, to, come to Africa, and uh, the travelling's uh, a big hardship. So you don't get enough time spent with the players to actually work on anything, anything specific. All you try and do is organise them. Uh, they're as fit as they can be anyway. You can't get them fitter in five days. And uh, it's, much, it's much more enjoyable, I feel. Uh, you've got a lot more time in your hands as well. Uh, than you do when you're when you club football is 24-7 mm. but uh, you've got to get back I've, I've got to get back to club football and so be it uh, I'm prepared for it and mm. uh, I'm hoping that it won't be too long before I'm back in yeah well um, so in Kenya uh, you you led mm. Gore Meyer to their first National League Championship in 18 years what's the um what was the response? What kind of response did you get? And what's the what does how does the fandom in Kenya compare to what it was like at Kilmarnock, for example? Uh, it's different. It's totally different. Uh, the the Ugandans and the Kenyans they love the football. Uh, there's nothing much else going on in their lives. They really do love the game. In Kilmarnock, people work and, and do what they've got to do. Um, football is a passion, don't get me wrong. They're very passionate fans in Kilmarnock as well. But here, they're diehards, really, especially Gormaya crowd. Um, they'll stone you if you lose a game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the stones will come flying on the pitch. And uh, it's pretty dangerous at times, but uh, it, it, was a good, it was a good experience, uh, I must admit. But uh, I was disappointing, Gormaya. After, after winning the league in 18 years, we had an agreement that we get 10% of the, the fee they won for winning the, the, the league. And I never received that money, and I've still never received it. They keep saying they would give me it, but I've never seen it, and I've just gave up. I've, I've, I'm not even, I don't even speak to the chairman anymore, I don't phone them. doesn't take my calls anyway. But that was that's disappointing. Mm. Uh, he even recommended uh, Frank uh, Natal when I was leaving. The chairman asked me if I could recommend someone. And Frank came in, and he won the league. Uh, I, I left them top of the league when I left mm. and Frank kept it going to the end of the season and they won it and then the following year Frank went the whole season without losing a game mm-hmm. they won the league again this was a team that's won it three times in a row and they hadn't won it in 18 years mm-hmm. so I think I was a, a bit of a catalyst in that happening and uh, then Frank Frank left he got disgruntled as well he left they brought in a Brazilian who never won the league he left then they brought Dylan Kerr in, one of my ex-players, and uh, he won the league twice. And now he's left, he's he's disgruntled as well with them. Mm. So he's left, he's, he's went to South Africa, and he's at Black Leopards now. Mm. So uh, I don't know who they're, gonna, who, who, they're, who they're thinking about bringing in, but it just shows you British coaches can do a job here. Yeah, so, I mean, as I mentioned, we'd spoken to, to Jimmy Bone, and he'd obviously had some success mm. in, in Zambia. So I wanted to ask... Yeah. What, uh, how easy or hard? I imagine it's not easy, but you know, in terms of building a championship-winning team in in Africa, obviously Zambia and Kenya are different countries. But what uh, you know, how easy is it to get those pieces together? Is it quite clear that you can see right? We need this player here and this player here to to be able to 
stand a chance at winning the championship or is it more about managing over the course of a season and what will be difficult conditions? It's mostly about managing. To be fair, uh, I brought in the two Ugandans, uh, but they, they were only saying that I really made the rest for brought in by other people in the, the committee. They, they, all want, they all want a piece of the pie. They all want to be uh, selecting players and bringing in players because they get slices, they, they transfer fees and whatever. Mm. So I just worked with the players and picked the best 11 out what I thought would do the job for a Saturday. And uh, that's what I did. And, yeah, working with the national team, it's hard to cover cover the players, especially if they're, if they're playing outside the country. Because you can't afford to travel and watch them and see see how they're playing. Mm. You've really got to speak to their managers and their coaches and ask ask them how how's they performing. Uh, David Aboa was playing for Hearts at the time, but uh, I kept selecting him for Uganda because he, he scored goals, David. But he wasn't a regular at Hearts. He mm. wasn't playing, and uh, he was a fan's favourite. And to be fair, he was a he, he, he was a bit of a talisman for Uganda when he came back. He was all, he was always scoring goals. So uh, it was easy enough to bring them back, but there was a lot of players you weren't sure about their fitness, you weren't sure whether they were playing regularly, and uh, that was difficult. That was difficult. Mm. So you you moved on to back to the national team or the Kenyan national team this time. Um, yeah. You just mentioned yeah. how hard it was to manage manage or sort of keep tabs on players. You had players or you you know players like Victor Wanyama as the captain there. How do you? manage that process of keeping an eye on all these players, especially in Africa when they're playing in so many different leagues? Yeah, well, Victor was easy to keep an eye on. Yeah. Because we got all the Premier League football here, and uh, plus I knew his managers. So um, he was easy. Uh, but there was guys in Sweden and Belgium and these places you didn't know whether they were playing on a regular basis or not. And you would just call them up and try and gauge their fitness and their space a couple of days and, and then go for a selection. But uh, Kenya was hard. The administration was poor. Uh, players weren't getting paid their, uh, their money uh, for turning up. Uh, I never got paid for a whole year. I was getting allowances for taking training, but I never got paid any wages for a whole year. And uh, I stuck at it, thinking it's a national team, I'll get paid eventually. But I've still not been paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a court case <laughs> coming up at the end of the month, actually, to see if I can get my money. But um, it's going to be difficult. But we played Cape Verde in a World Cup qualifier, and we beat them one 0 on the Friday here. We played on the Tuesday in Cape Verde. So I seen the chairman the Saturday, or the president, and I said, "When he goes, when do you want to leave?" And I said, "We'll need to leave tomorrow, Sunday. Get there for Monday, train Monday night, play again Tuesday." And he said, "No, no, no." He goes, "We'll charter a plane. We'll leave on Monday." And I thought. It's going to be a bit tight. And he says, no, it's only seven, eight hours. We'll, we'll get it. Nine o'clock in the morning, we'll get it. You can train the Monday evening. And I thought, oh, that sounds OK. So I was at the airport for about nine o'clock, thinking it's a chart. I will fly it at ten. The plane wasn't ready. The players never turned up. They were at a hotel arguing about allowances again because they weren't going to, they weren't getting paid. Mm. In the previous round, we beat, we beat Mauritius 5-2 away from home. They had a return match. The players didn't want to play. They were leaving the hotel because they hadn't been paid their allowances. And I managed to convince them to stay. I said, look, you've already qualified. This lot will just turn up. Uh, they're not expecting anything. I said, just go and play the game and you'll get your money. Uh, uh, I don't know whether they did get their money, but we played the game and we qualified for the Cape Verde match. Because as I said, we beat them 1-0. We never left uh, Kenya till 9 o'clock Monday evening. And we arrived. It took us 23 hours to get there. 
when we arrived two hours before kickoff, which is just a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you supposed to prepare players? They couldn't even relax on the plane. The, the seats never reclined. The, the seats were sat bolt upright. So the guys, the guys never rested. Uh, there was only one toilet on the plane, and that was banjaxed after five hours. Mm. And uh, it was flooding the plane. It was just, just ridiculous. The players never got enough food on the plane. We made four stops in the way, and uh, it was just crazy. It's unheard of anywhere else in the world. Mm. It's only only happens in Africa. In Europe, you've got to be in the country you're playing in 24 hours before the kickoff. Doesn't happen in Africa. You get there when you get there. Mm. And uh, as I said, we lost the game 2-0. We're now 2-1 in aggregate. So I thought it was uh, diabolical, a World Cup qualifier. And we can't even get there, I'm saying. Mm. Mm. So it was, it was very difficult managing national team. But I stuck in. And I thought, I'm not giving up. Uh, I, I love this country. I want to stay here. I want to do well for these guys. Uh, but the president lost his position. A new guy came in. And... Uh, I was released. They never even told me I was released. I just read it in the newspapers. They brought in a new background stuff, and I wasn't part of it. I had no phone call, nothing. Wow. And uh, I felt I felt that was very disrespectful. Mm. Well, so, um, I want my money from them. Well, quite right. And good luck with your your court case on Friday. Well, I hope I get it. Yeah. Uh, well, that won't even determine whether I get the money. It'll just determine whether I've got a case to go forward with. Okay. And then it'll take another. It'll take another couple of months or something. It's been over two years already. Yeah. So uh, I don't know how long it's going to drag on, but we'll see what the outcome is. Yeah. Just a just a couple of last questions. Um, sure. Firstly, when we spoke to to. Jimmy, he was talking about a lot of the players that he had at Power Dynamos. He he thought they were they were really good enough quality to to make a career playing back in Scotland. Uh, what what? How many players have you come across in Uganda and in Kenya that you really think of perhaps could could make the grade at the sort of top level? Yeah, I think all of them. I play international football can do it. I really do. There's there's a lot of talent in this country uh, and and Uganda as well. Oh, I tried to, to get them as a game awareness and how to defend when we lost possession of the ball. And uh, when they had the ball, they could play. But when they didn't have the ball, the, the opposition played. And uh, I tried to nullify that by, by teaching them game awareness and positioning positioning play. But there's a lot of talent out here. Mm-hmm. It's just getting them work permits and visas to get them abroad. is very difficult because the, the, the world rankings isn't high enough. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, they're basically stuck here or they go to Belgium uh, the way Victor did and work their way through from there mm, mm. and uh, there's um, a lot of talent yeah and yeah on that um, I think it was Pele said he, he thought an African team would win the World Cup by I think it was 2000 obviously that's that's yeah. not happened he and was he, wrong <laughs> yeah he was, wrong. he was wrong I want to know why you why that's not really happened you just mentioned the administration there is that maybe one of the key key yeah. reasons or yeah, I think so. When you look at all the World Cups that most of these countries have been in, they've all argued about bonus money and stuff like that. There's always been a fallout with the Federation that they don't get paid their money and uh, they want more money. So that's a, that's a big problem. Uh, these, these players, well, the ones uh, the ones in East Africa especially, this is a living. And it's semi-pro, really. They don't get paid a lot of money. So they fight for it. And uh, quite a lot of times they don't get it. And that's even happened with Kenyan, even happened with Ugandan national team. We're always arguing about allowances. 
even when we went to Sakafa here in uh, was it? in uh, Ethiopia, uh, with Kenya, the players were arguing with money up to the day the the game of the kickoff, mm. and uh, there was one day they weren't they weren't going to train because they weren't getting their allowances, and I'm thinking we're here in the tournament, we want to win it, and these guys are fighting over money, but that's what it is. Uh, they don't get paid enough, so they want it, and the family needs it. And uh, it's a big problem. And uh, I've seen that, I think it was FIFA, had, had paid the African countries the money before they got to the World Cup so they could pay the players mm. before they actually left the countries. But uh, I think there were still arguments about it. But I think that's the biggest problem, mm-hmm. administration. Uh, the corruption is very high here in Kenya, whether it's politicians or whether it's any walk of life, is very, very high. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and sorry, this very final question. Um, no problem. Would you ever return to Scotland to manage? No, I don't think so. Uh, when I was at work uh, at Plymouth, when Plymouth had put me on garden leave and uh, then, they, then they finally settled my contract, I was available. There was a few clubs who were waiting for coaches, but I got, a, I got a few interviews, but I never got anywhere close to getting a job. And I thought, well, if I can't get a job when I was there, there's no chance of getting a job now. I'm not, I'm not there. I'm in Africa now. There's no chance of getting a job there anyway. But I'm really enjoying my life in Africa. Uh, it certainly brought my horizons. And uh, I, I love being here. So I've, I've no really intentions of getting back to Britain anywhere at all, really. Uh, I'd rather work here somewhere. Mm. Good luck for the future and thank you so much for, for talking to us. No, you're welcome. Thank you. Cheers, mate. So there we go. That was Bobby Williamson. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed uh, conducting the, the interview. It's a bit weird flying solo on that one, I have to say, Alan. I missed you halfway through oh, that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, you did a fine job, though. So it was good. A, gr- a great a great chat there that you had with, with Bobby. Um, I'm sorry I missed it. Um, we'll all have our memories of 90s football and and Kilmarnock and Bobby Williamson so I would like to hear that um, so you know write in on the oh what is the email address again <laughs> well Alan you're the one that set it up so <laughs> I think it's behind the goals at hotmail.com behind the goals at hotmail.com if you email us behind the goals at hotmail.com uh, tell us what your memories are of, of Bobby Williamson uh, try and keep it clean if you're a Wraith Rovers fan like me and, and, I've, and I've got songs about Kilmarnock that still you know, burn you up inside when you think of what we were in 1992 and uh, and, and the, 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 the poor relations that they were to us as we as we marched through the through the uh, uh, through Division 1 it was at the time a bit bitter about that aren't you? <laughs> not really <laughs> Um yeah, but right then, tell us what you thought about Bobby Williamson. Yeah, um, your, yeah. your your favourite memories of, yeah. of his time in Scotland, Scottish football, or if you if you if you're aware of what he's done since then, other than the the, the interview you just listened to, uh, yeah, let let us know what you think. Yeah, very much so, and we'll read out some of the best correspondence at the start of next week's episode. Um, so until then, we'll speak to you then. Yeah. Behind the goals is a supporters direct Scotland podcast. You can get in touch with the show by emailing behindthegoals at hotmail.com or you can also tweet the show at SupDirectScott. That's S-U-P-P Direct Scott.